0: As we continue this morning, Gospel of John series, uh, we're on <coughs> chapter one, verse thirty-five to forty-two. As I uh, mentioned before, and and uh, <clears> those <throat> teaching on that previous text been very helpful. We ought to see John's storytelling just a bit differently than other synoptic Gospels. There is always a spiritual meaning. There is also what's going on behind the scene, including the silence of Jesus. Unlike other Gospels, John had Jesus being so silent every single moment until today, the first word that comes out of his mouth is, what are you seeking? So I would like to provide some context um, which will give us broader and deeper understanding of this simple story and few verses that we have. Let me read beginning verses. John 1, 35 to 37. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Here's a question that we need to think before we delve into the entire text. Who are these two men? What text gives us already, it begins with this fact. They were the disciples of John the Baptist, who was a radical spiritual leader. And in order for us to know about these two young men, it will help us greatly to know about John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? There's a few things that will bring to the light. Number one, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, wore clothing made of camel's hair, ate locusts, and wild honey. just like Old Testament Samson and Samuel, he made a Nazareth vow. The Nazareth vow is a dedication. For some, is a designated period of time. Not cutting hair or not being close to any kind of corpse, dead corpse. Not drinking alcohol from grapes, such and such things. But even among the Nazarites, John the Baptist was radical. No one like John the Baptist, Nazarites lived in the wilderness all by himself and lived in the solitude and silence and ate locusts and wild honey. There was a point that John was trying to do. It was not just a physical discipline, but it was the spiritual sharpness that he needed to call and to do the duty that God has given him. John's message was simply to repent and prepare for the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, who who will take the sins of the world. He called himself, I am not the Messiah, I am not Elijah, I am the voice in the wilderness. He identified himself, I am a voice, just shouting voice in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. In today's, today's text, and John sees Jesus coming by again. For the second time, he says the similar phrase that he has already said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is loaded, pregnant with meaning in that. Lamb of God, the first glimpses glimpses of The flashbacks is the Passover in Exodus. The tenth plague uh, Moses instructed all the Israelites to put the blood blood of spotless lamb on the doorpost when angel of death comes by. He passes over the symbolically passes over the judgment. It doesn't matter who lives in that house, but passes over the blood of Jesus applied to us the death, the death and penalty and the wrath of God passes over. That was the concept and the symbolic the foreshadowing. but the sacrificial lamb, the ma- animal lamb cannot. Cleanse the blood. I cannot cleanse the sins of the world. That's why John calls the Lamb of God. In Tabernacle, the worship in temple, the animal sacrifice day in and day out, the animal blood could not forgive the sins of the world. Cannot bring the redemption of The people. And that was John's message. The Lamb of God. Not as a Lamb, but the Lamb of God is coming. He is the promised Messiah. Prepare the way. This is the time for salvation. This is the time for your repentance. Repentance. So many religious leaders didn't like him at all because it was the revolution inside out. So many people flocked to John the Baptist. Not only for baptism, but young men followed him because they were spiritually aware and sharp and sensitive people They were baptized and followed him in his radical spiritual movement with no compromise. At the end of his ministry, John the Baptist spoke without compromise to Herod, his sin of adultery, and he was beheaded. That was the end of his life, physical life. Yet Jesus spoke so extremely, highly, of John the Baptist in Matthew 11.1, 1, Jesus says, among those born of woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John. So if we know John the Baptist this way, we're talking about two young men who were used to follow Jesus. Oh, on, on the side note, It's easy to say, oh, I I must decrease and Jesus must increase. Pastors say that all the time. It's all about God and not my glory. But our church is going through a tough time and dwindling with numbers. Then what is going on? That's our typical response. John here, his disciples are going to Jesus. He's a merely man, mere man, but marked by true humility. The sense of mission was so crystal clear he was not moved by people's opinion. Oh, this is incredible. Living like John the Baptist is a called person rather than driven person. would will be my prayer. My prayer for you, my prayer for me as well. We're coming back to our text. If these two young men were disciples of John, there are a few other things we could know. So they were not just three people who were merely curious about Jesus as a new teacher coming, out, coming in town. Moreover, these two were spiritually sharp and radical people who meant business with God. After all, in today's text, these two young men, on their own initiative, came to Jesus. Jesus didn't look for them. Wow. So that's the context. And in that context, to these spiritually sharp young men, Jesus asked this question What are you seeking? And that's ESV. Uh, If you look up NIV, it will say, what do you want? Both are right. Both translation is fitting. And there's a reason for that. Because as I mentioned, John's gospel has this multi-level of meaning going on. Even in prologue, we saw John talking about life, the creation physical life, but then he talks on the another level of a life eternal salvation, the physical life and the light spiritual that opens our spiritual eyes, and in the same sense, there's a much uh deeper meaning in this, and the kind of questions that when we, when we are asked, when we struggle over, it will change our lives, Life-altering question. So there are three simple lessons I drew from this story. And the context is this, and Jesus calls his first Disciples. In today's passage, possibly four, but at least three explicitly. There's an implicit sense of there might might be another one. Uh, I'll explain why I think so. But in so doing, the question that I'm asking what does Jesus invite us to when he calls us to follow him? To what Jesus invites every single person whom he calls to follow? And here's the first one. From this question, what are you seeking? The first thing that we know is Jesus invites us to examine our ultimate passion and purpose of life in following him. Allow me to read verse 35 to 37 again, and then we're going to continue on verse 38. The next day, John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them, saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? There is a practical side of this question. So the NIV's "What do you want?" is really "What can I do for you, young man?" That's the that's the surface meaning. But knowing where they are coming from, Jesus was asking actually more deeper lifetime pursuit question. I'm not asking for what you're seeking for today. What is your lifetime passion and, and pursuit? What are you looking for in life? Many follow Jesus, this crowd follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. In John, for example, John six twenty-three, after feeding five thousand people, Jesus talks about I am the bread of life and he said. Lord, give us this bread, physical bread. And Jesus said, you follow me, not because you saw the sign, but because you had a fill of your loaves. In other words, your stomach is filled because of hunger was always a constant problem. And then you are following me because of bread. Even today, there's so many people could follow Jesus for wrong reasons and we should not exclude ourselves from that examination. It's Jesus. A means to on our end. I want our children to be healthy and happy. I want no cancer in our lives, in our family. I want my sons and daughters go to the good college. Oh, I want a really healthy marriage. I want to have a decent, moral family. Oh yes, I want Jesus. Because Jesus gives us blessings and prosperity. Or is Jesus really your ultimate passion and pursuit as your eternal God and Savior? I know some of you might be saying, come on, Paul, give me some credit. You know, I've been trying to read the Bible and and get involved in church because of my spiritual growth. Yes, I do understand that. But as we went through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, examine your faith, whether you are in the faith. Somewhere along the line, When you think about your most treasured joy, what is it? Is that your children? Is that your husband? Is your is your wife or family? Or is your house? Or is Jesus your most treasured joy? It takes just a little bit of thought. It doesn't take theology to figure this out. If we paid paid attention to prologue. That he existed, pre-existed before the entire universe existed, that he is second person of Triune God, that he is self-existent creator of you and me and source of life. and that he is a giver of all gifts. So when we are looking for something, I think looking down in our own immediate felt needs, we could have an ulterior motive, or mixed motives. Even people in the ministry could be there, confused. What am I looking for? What am I seeking? I think this very question that Jesus is asking to each one of us coming near to us what are you seeking? I see that you follow me. Second thing that Jesus invites us to is in the phrase "the come and you will see." Jesus invites us to cultivate a personal relationship. I might as well add intimate relationship with Him daily in following Him. Thirty-eight, verse verse thirty-eight. The latter part, B. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, or more um, in that culture, especially even Asian culture, it would be master. The master in you know, not a slave master sense but the martial arts I want to learn from you master master Ko, teach me that kind of thing right so honorific but and yet higher than typical tutor teacher they respected him and Jesus is thinking, what is your lifetime passion what is your life pursuit and then they're asking they're answering with another question where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. The economy of John's words in this. It's, once again, there's a surface level going on. So these two men um, sounds a little bit kind of mundane if I become really honest. Sounds like a stupid answer. Where are you staying? What's your lifetime passion? Uh, where are you staying? <laughs> but then yet, if we listen more I think their intention, implication was wherever you want to stay, we want to go. In other words, I, I wanna, we, we want to follow you. What does it take for us to follow you? What are you saying? I, I think it's the beautiful part. Jesus have said um, 250 to Santiago Street. That's where I'm staying. If you want to make an appointment, Sunday is available. Uh, We have a regular gathering and sessions on Sunday mornings. In some cases, Saturday night also too. Come. He didn't do that. He invited them. He gave an invitation. Invitation to what? Not not, weekly se- not to weekly sessions, classes, or appointments, but on abiding relationship with Him daily. The word, where are you staying, is the same thing as remain in me and I will remain in you. John 15, abide in me, I, I'll abide in you. Where are you abiding? What has come to the today's Christianity? Sunday, 70 minutes, if not 90 minutes, is a session with Jesus that you pay the due of being a Christian. Oh, and someday, some Sundays you need to go vacation and holidays and you need to go somewhere. So maybe about two, three times a month. I'm with Jesus. Because, you know, I could read and online, or there's even commentary. Let me do that. But Jesus' invitation we need to hear right here is a relationship. Walk by, beside me. Walk with me Daily. And do you hear Jesus' invitation to you? This morning, would you come with me? I want to stay. I want you to stay with me. Go wherever I go. go. Wherever I go, walk with me. I think this is the, the benefit of growing up in children. I mean, the... Growing up in a children's school, Sunday school, in church. Bless God, I, I'm thankful for my mom's upbringing of me that way. The children's song came to me. And I was in the middle of meditation. Walking with Jesus. Walking every day. Walking all the way. Walking with Jesus, walking all the way. <laughs> walking in the sunlight, walking in the shadow. The rest of it I forgot. <laughs> the idea is walking every day, walking all the way, sunlight, shadow, when, when it rains, when it shines, Jesus with me. And he walks with me. He develops an intimacy with me, and he talks to me through the Bible. I talk to him to, through the through prayer. That is following following Christ. That is genuine discipleship. We made this consumer institute. We call church, and our due is just Sunday. That. Ninety minutes. Our church is close to ours. <laughs> and when you are urged and encouraged, come to home group. Join organic process of life and men's and women's group. Oh, there is more to do. And the concept is walking with Jesus every day. Every section of our lives. So, in following Jesus, have you taken his invitation daily? A relationship with him? The impact is so purely joyful. Because I'm going to jump to the next verses. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. I'm going to read it with a little bit of emotion the imagination that i have one of the two who heard john and john speak and follow jesus was andrew simon peter's brother he first found his own brother simon and said to him we have found the messiah he is the christ come brother you got to see him and meet him do you sense his excitement in his voice, can you picture his just utter joy, simple joy of wanting his loved one, his close brother. Peter, you've got to meet him. I'm, I'm sorry, back then. Simon, you've got to meet him. The other unnamed disciple, young man, was most likely John. Almost all commentaries agree with that. The scripture itself, text itself, is not explicit. But how do we know? Because John, throughout the entire gospel, he doesn't mention his name at all. The only time he mentions him, plugs in, his, him in the story, is he calls himself the man whom Jesus loved. Oftentimes, he just remains anonymous. So this unnamed disciple, which I think so too, but most scholars will say, must be John. Another evidence is that it will mention the previous chapter and previous passage. They stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Remember, it's the end of the century, 90, 95, uh, 80. So which means 56 years past. How does he remember this? Of course, the Holy Spirit can bring back, but he must be in there. The 10th hour meant in our own uh, Western hour is a, uh, 4 p.m., And what about him? Could it be? This is my speculation. Don't quote me. This is not in the Bible. Could it be that John also talked to his brother James? James and John, sons of the Jevedi. Remember that they had temple problem, and they their mother was a helicopter mother and Je- come to coming to Jesus. When you come to the throne, can you put my one son in the right and one, one on the left? That, James and John. This John, referring to verse 41 gives another, another clue. Andrew first found, the Greek word first is very distinctively clear that must be. There's someone else to did did that. He first found his own brother. Maybe John, as a second person, found his own brother as well. I think that was my experience when I encountered Jesus with my own internalized faith when I was about 13, I couldn't contain the joy. I didn't know enough theologically. I didn't have the tools of what to say. I simply couldn't contain and talk to my friends. I think one, one, one of the prayer that we, we ought to pray in our, in our church is to regain this Andrew's joy and passion, enthusiasm. What could have happened? At 4 p.m. Through throughout the entire evening, there must be engaging spiritual conversation with Jesus, which led them to conclude he must be the promised Messiah. Once again, because of economy, wor- economy of John's words, in John's gospel, it's silent. We don't know what happened. We just know the results. and Which leads to third lesson that I drew from this text, which comes from this phrase, you shall be called Cephas. Jesus invites us to Pursue inside-out transformation of who we are in following him. Verse 40 again, one of the two disciples, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. There's a Hebrew and um, Aramaic and, and Greek going back and forth here. The Messiah, the anointed one, was Hebrew, and Christ is the same parallel meaning of Greek word, and Cephas was Aramaic, the, the daily language, spoken language, a type of Hebrew that Jesus and his disciples and the, the people in that time used, and obviously Peter The same meaning and parallel of Greek word. What's going on here? As I mentioned, the natural response of action and Andrew's joy was, you know, first evangelism that happened, and this was be even before Jesus declared to Peter, "Follow me; you shall be fishers of men." rather than fishers of physical fish right now. And it became and you already practiced that. And two key, the the key to evangelism, maybe just we take it plainly to, to this key to following Jesus. The basic Thing that we need is this simple overflow of gen- genuine joy in Jesus. It comes in hand in hand when we experience daily walk with him and intimacy and we overflow with joy of Jesus in our lives. We obviously cannot contain. But as we continue doing that, We continually receive from Jesus. The water that doesn't go anywhere, that sea, the water gets stale. But the water continually flows, we get fresh water. But to Simon, Jesus saw him. He saw through Simon's personality. Impulsive. And he was flip-flopping because he's the big ear to listen to this. Oh, this must be right or this must be right. But Jesus said, you shall be called Cephas, rock, of course later on when he restores, um, reinstates him in the epilogue of John, he actually calls him to lead the church and then he promised upon this rock that I'll build a church. That Peter became a supremely courageous leader. Stable leader, like a rock. And even to us, the invitation is there. Not a fix it a little bit. Get a haircut and trim your beard a little bit and you know, don't wear that kind of baggy pants anymore, that kind of transformation. But inside out, who we are, genuinely, our character is changed. That's a call and invitation and promise and charge at the all at the same time. Do you have a temper problem? Jesus called you to become a loving person. That's what happened to John, Apostle John. The apostle of love who used to be temperous, son of Zebedee. Impulsive Peter who became unstable person Unreliable person who denied Jesus three times, who later became solid rock. The question is are we being, are you being transformed? I know you're following Christ. And I asked the same question. To Myself, rather than excusing myself, I'm the way that I am I am. The Lord changed me. Ray Stedman writes encouraging uh, comments on this uh, verse. He writes, "So Simon came. Jesus immediately seizes on the meaning of his name. So you are Simon. Simon means a listener or hearer, who, one who is constantly listening to what's going on around him. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic. The language that Jesus and the disciples spoke, which is very close to Hebrew, Cephas Means a rock. And John translates here using the Greek word for rock, Peter. What Jesus is saying to him is So you are, Simon, you're now a listener. You're tuned to what everyone around you is saying. You're easily affected by the opinions and attitudes of our others. This is the natural temperament of Peter. He is easily influenced, impetuous, and impulsive, and running after every word he hears. Jesus reads his heart instantly and says, Your name is Simon, but you shall become a rock. Peter is going to be an anchor man, an immovable foundation upon which others will build, a steadying Steading influence to everyone around him. This is what captured Peter. He was a man who instantly read his weakness, but who also, I'm sorry, he was a man, referring to Jesus, who instantly read his weakness, but who also saw his great possibilities. So three things. Jesus is invite you to examine your life, passion, and pursuit. The ultimate reason why you're following him. <clears throat> Number two, Jesus invites you to cultivate personal, intimate relationship with, with him daily, not weekly. And thirdly, Jesus called you, invite you to pursue an inside out transformation of who you are and your character by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a Savior we have. My prayer is this, that this summer as we are going through this transitional time. And within two, three weeks, we're going to announce our short-term side and the amount of work that we need to gear up as well. Instead of grumbling and complaining, instead of thinking that I want this summer to be just mundane, lazy summer for my physical comfort, Lord, if you ask me to evaluate my ultimate life purpose and passion this summer. Lord, if you ask me to cultivate intimacy with you daily. Lord, if you ask me to pursue transformation of my inside-out character, character, so be it. We will experience joy, and true kind of joy. And may God Spirit, fall upon us like a fresh rain, spring rain on a dry land this summer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for invitations that you give us as you call us to follow you and we are so grateful for the promise for the assurance that you give us that we are not the subject the actor and the the initiator and finisher of our faith but you are the author and finisher of our faith (coughs) in spite of our depravity and our own self-disappointment of our own inability to get up and walk with you enable us right now i pray that you will touch every single person in this room in our church communally to infuse the strength on our knees to walk with you daily. <coughs> Increase our faith amidst of this trial and uncertainty that we face each day. And I pray the end of joy will come upon us individually and corporately, And that's our hope and desire, uh, and our earnest prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.